Can I just sort of talk to you through this sermon today? Would that be all right? I'm in this series on how to win within. And uh, uh, by the way, when you come to the... Um, camp out. I can't even think straight right now. Um, party next Sunday. What do you call a thing? Picnic. I'm crying out loud, Dallas. Get it together. Picnic. Uh, all you got to do is tell them at the gate if you don't have a Hamilton Parks pass, is just tell them you're with Bridge of Hope Church and there's a, an event there and you don't have to pay to park or, or get in or anything like that. So just let them know you're with Bridge of Hope Church. We'll have everything set up and ready to go for you. Um, if you haven't signed up for the marriage conference, do so. We want to see you there. Amen? Amen. So in the second message, and I'm, and I'm just, we're going to spend some time in this on how to win within because, you know, most of our battles are within. Uh, in fact, most of the hardest battles you'll ever fight in your life are between your ears. And, um, and isn't that the case? Have you found that to be so? I mean, it really is. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, how your mind can get off track sometimes, but I want to speak on the subject today, defeating discouragement. Everybody say defeating discouragement. discouragement. Now, you might be on the mountaintop in certain areas of your life, and you may have one area or another where you just simply are discouraged. How many of you have been praying for something for quite some time, and it hasn't happened, and you're just frustrated? Can I see a show of hands? I want to I wanna hold on up high. I want to know that I went to the right church today. Okay. Amen. Maybe there's multiple areas. Maybe there is you find yourself saying, God, do you still hear my prayers? God, do you still answer me? Do you hear me? Hello, SOS. You want to get out in the yard and start a fire that says SOS to the heavens and hopefully get his attention. How many know what I'm talking about? You ever been there before? Perhaps you're there right now. Uh, David was there, and in Psalm 42, if you'll stand for the reading of God's Word, I just want to share this with you. And I'm just going to sort of pull up a chair like we're in the living room and just talk with you today, if that's all right. Psalm 42, 1 through 11, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? Let me, let me just stop right here for a second. When was the last time that you could honestly say that your soul panted for God? I, I, this thought came to me today, this morning when I was reading my Bible and studying. I'm going to have to be careful how I say this because I'm going to have to flesh this out one day because some of y'all might get mad. There are people that attend church on Sunday and they're not really married to God. They're having an affair. They're having a one and a half hour fling on a Sunday morning with God. And then they're going back to the world to live for the world. I'm going to preach that one day. But I better go on today because we're on a different subject. Amen. My tears have been my food day and night. You ever been there before? While people say to me all day long, where is your God? The devil just taunting you. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. So he's in a place where he says, I remember I used to go to God's house with such joy and such praise and I couldn't wait to get there. And now if I do go, basically what he's not saying is, 
I may not have joy. I may sing the songs, but hey, I, I'm there, but I'm really not there. How many know what I'm talking about? You ever been there before? Verse 5, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And David's talking to himself. You know you start getting, you're in a, in a discouraged place when you start talking to yourself. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. In other words, he says, I don't even know why I'm so downcast. I don't know why I'm so disturbed. I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to put my hope in God, and I'm going to praise him anyways. Poke your neighbor and say, put your hope in God and praise him anyway. Amen. Verse 6, my soul is downcast within me. He is saying, my soul, my mind, will, and emotions. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, and Mount Mitzar. In other words, I'm downcast, but I know what the answer is. I'm going to remember you, God, and I'm going to look to you. Deep calls the deep and the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to, my, to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? You ever been there before? You ever been there? You felt like God forgot you? My bones suffer mortal agony and my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? The devil specializes in that. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. Shout to your neighbor beside you and say, Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him. Say, You better give me room because I'm going to praise him anyways. You need to say it like you mean it. You better give me room because I'm going to praise him anyway. Amen. My Savior and my God. Thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the wonderful time in worship. And now, God, we ask you to speak to us, God. I pray, God, not one word of my own, but every word from the throne of God into our hearts. Speak to us the precious word of the Lord, God. Speak to our souls today, God. Let hope rise in our hearts in every area that we may be discouraged in. And God, anoint me to communicate your word with simplicity with honesty and humility, and I just pray, God, that you would just speak through me, not, not anything of my own, but straight from you. God, let my words and let the preaching today, God, not be in word and tongue only, but also in power and in deed. In Jesus' name, and everybody said? Amen. Amen. Hold your Bibles up in whatever form you have, and I want you to boldly declare, Father, today, I'm going to put my hope in you. And yet will I praise you, even if I'm downcast. Oh, Lord, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. Christ's name I pray. Amen, amen. High five somebody and say to the death of, dis of the discouragement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say it again. Say it to the death of discouragement. And by the way, you're not going to want to miss in two weeks. Obviously, I won't preach next week with a picnic, but in two weeks, I've got a message. It's a, it'll be very different, so you won't want to miss that.
An old legend says that the devil was auctioning off his tools one day, trying to raise up some money. He was selling things like pride and jealousy and laziness and arrogance and hatred and so on. But he had one tool sitting over in the corner that he would not touch, and it had a sign on it that said, not for sale. Someone asked what that particular tool was and why was it so important to the devil? Why did he esteem it so far above all the others? He's willing to sell these other things, but never this. The devil replied with this tool, I can pry into the heart, and once I get into the heart, I can do anything I want at any time. It is my chief tool, he said. It is discouragement. As a pastor, most of the problems I see stem from discouragement setting in their hearts. All around us, people are frustrated. They simply don't know what to do. Their world is collapsing around them. Everything that they used to depend on is gone. Their foundations have been destroyed. They don't know where to turn, and perhaps some even have considered ending it all. They're reduced to throwing their hands in the air and saying, I give up, I quit, because I don't know what else to do. Think about this. There's never been a suicide that discouragement didn't play a part. There's never been a divorce that discouragement didn't play a part. There's never been a business owner that quit before their time that discouragement didn't play a part. People leave churches over discouragement. Ministers leave ministries over discouragement. I ran across some very startling stats this week. 17 to 1800 pastors per month will leave the ministry now. Over 20,000 pastors a year will leave the ministry and never return. And there is not like a crop of 20,000 new coming up. We're very much on the brink of a shortage of ministers across the United States in particular. As a matter of fact, 80% of people who enter the ministry now will not be in the ministry five years from now. Eight out of ten who start will not even make it five years. 80% of pastors and 84% of their spouses feel unqualified and discouraged in their roles as pastors. So what I'm preaching to you today is not just something that I'm coming at you and saying, Oh, you bad congregation, you, you just need to be encouraged. I'm coming to you telling you from someone who deals with certain areas of discouragement that it is something real that we all face. How many would agree that you go through moments of discouragement? I mean, what is discouragement? Well, discourage is the opposite of courage. Well, that, that makes sense, but what does it actually mean? Well, discourage, according to Webster, is defined as to extinguish the courage of, to dishearten, to object, to deprive of confidence. It's, it's kind of when you sort of feel down about something. Maybe you feel like quitting something. Maybe you feel like what you're doing is not making a difference. Why show up to greet on Sunday afternoons? It's not mattering anyways. Why show up and teach the class? It's not mattering anyways. Why show up and sing the songs? It doesn't make a difference anyways. And so the devil gets in the mind and he starts messing. It's when you feel like there's no need to go on, especially maybe in your ministry. It's not an easy word to define. I mean, would you know discouragement if you met it on the street? Think about it. It's sort of hazy and illusionary. 
It's like a mist that fingers that the fingers of your mind can reach out for but can never quite grasp. Where does discouragement come from? How does it have such an effect on us? Well, the opposite of discourage is courage. Everybody say courage. I'm laying a little foundation here. Courage means bravery. It's the quality of mind which enables men to encounter danger and difficulties with firmness or without fear, or watch this, or depression of spirits. When I think of discouragement, I think of a depression of spirits. And, and discouragement can happen so fast. I'm amazed, I'm literally amazed how you can feel good about things and one phone call and all of a sudden it's like somebody let the air out of your life. One phone call and it seemed like you can go to the mountaintop to the bottom of the barrel. I mean, knows what I'm talking about. Am I the only one that can, has ever been there or can be there? It seemed like one bad phone call and you're like, are you kidding me? And it just sucks the wind right out of you. But, but courage is when the tough, when, when the going gets tough, you just keep going. It is when you keep moving and keep doing in spite of not feeling good about things. It is when you keep doing ministry and you keep praising God, you keep worshiping, you keep praying, you keep seeking the face of God, even when it doesn't seem like there is an answer. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? When we get discouraged, we continue in the marriage even if you don't see results. You continue in the relationship. Discouragement is actually a state of mind, believe it or not. It has a feeling to it, but discouragement is actually starts and it breeds and it goes from your mind. It has no form. It has no shape. It has no physical characteristics. And while no one here can draw a picture of it, it affects every one of us at one point in time or another. Discouragement can only be found in the mind. I'm not sure how it gets there. I'm not sure when it shows up. I know that it never comes for any good reason. Perhaps it's we come in agreement with the devil. Perhaps our eyes get on circumstances. But I know when it comes, it is never from God and it is never good. Discouragement is a negative and it is absolutely a tool from the devil. In fact, discouragement causes us to lose God's viewpoint on the situation. Discouragement causes us to not think straight. Discouragement causes us to say things that 30 seconds later you think, did I really say, why would I say that? It is a state of mind contrary to Christian living, something we should avoid at all costs because discouragement is nothing but from the devil. In the 1500s, the great preacher, Martin Luther, the, the Protestant Reformation, Salvation by faith, the whole movement that we know so well and dear. He had the Pope trying to kill him. His friends all abandoned him. And one day he looked up and his wife was in mourning clothes, funeral clothes. He said, great, who died? She said, God. Oh, he got irate. He thought, man, this is unbelievable. He said, man, the Pope's trying to kill me. My friends have abandoned me. And now my wife has lost her mind. She has gone off the deep end. And now she's not even with me. He said, who in the world told you God was dead? She said, you did, Martin. The way you've been acting the past few weeks, I just assumed you found out God was dead. 
to which he repented and realized he was taking Satan's viewpoint on things and not God's. How many of you have ever thought, man, I think God has died or he has turned a deaf ear to me. He is not hearing my prayers. Discouragement can get you in a bad place. That leads me to point number two, and that is this. Discouragement sets in when our eyes are in the wrong place. Let's diagnose where discouragement comes from, how it gets there, and how, how do we win within when we're talking about discouragement. Everybody say this to me. Discouragement sets in when our eyes are in the wrong place. When was the last time you heard someone getting so discouraged that they won a battle? When was the last time you read, David said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall be discouraged. Or did you ever read Paul write, I can do all things through Christ because I'm discouraged? Of course not. Discouragement starts with where our eyes are. David wrote about this in Psalm 42. Watch what he says. He says, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Have you ever asked yourself that? I mean, have you ever done that? I've gone around walking. I thought, man, I just, sometimes I talk to myself. And sometimes I talk to myself. And then I realize I'm in the grocery store, man. You ought not do this. They're going to call the paddy wagon on you and throw a straight jacket on you and haul you off, buddy. Look, he said, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. My Savior, my God, my soul is downcast within me. Don't, David forgot where David was. David forgot where God was during his troubles. Let me say it again. David forgot where God was during his troubles, and he got his eyes on his problems and in the wrong place. In another psalm, here's what he said, Psalm 73 and 3. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw, look where his eyes are, the prosperity of the wicked. David was in, in, in nooks and crannies. He's running for his life from Saul, and he's looking around at the prosperity and how blessed the wicked people are, and he's getting himself discouraged. He is looking at his life, he is seeing them, and he's saying, why are you doing it for all? them and you're not doing it for me and we could fill in the blank with anything we want god why is god why are you answering so-and-so's prayer but you don't seem to hear me why did you give them a miracle of healing but not me why come you got them a breakthrough but i don't have one why come they got a church and we don't have one and the list could go on and on and on and it is nothing but our eyes being in the wrong place Nothing will cause discouragement any faster than taking your eyes off Jesus Christ and what he's called you to do and what his will is for your life. So if you're going to win within and you're going to defeat discouragement, you've got to get your eyes in the right place. Somebody say amen. amen. Hebrews 12 too, the, the author of Hebrews says it. He teaches us what to do. If you want to win within and defeat discouragement, look unto Jesus. Don't look at the world. Don't look at what everybody else is going on in their lives. You get your eyes. I get my eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he is the author and the finisher of our faith. That means that if our faith is weak right now, he can finish it up. He can strengthen it. He can write the next chapter in it. Glory to God. Our answer is to keep our eyes on Jesus. 
It was in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus, in his painful moments, when he was so disturbed by what was going to happen that he sweated great drops of blood, that he prayed, Father, his eyes, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. Aren't you glad he did it? Somewhere along the way, David figured this out. I really believe this. Somewhere along the way, David figured out what was going on, and he said, I've got an answer. Because he wrote in another psalm, Psalm 121, and he said, I will lift up mine eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Woo! David said, man, I'm going to keep my eyes on the Lord. I'm not going to look at the wicked. I'm not going to look at their blessed. I'm not going to look at my circumstances. I'm not going to look at my problems. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to lift up my eyes and I'm going to look to God. Woo! And if you're discouraged in any area of your life now, you put that up to the altar of God. Look to him and say, here it is, Lord. You know, there were times, there have been times in our marriage where we wrote tithe checks and we didn't have it. And we had financial issues that we were staring down the barrel. And you know what I did? I looked at God. We said, here's your tithe, God. All these other problems, they're yours now. And it sounds funny, but that's exactly what God wants you to do. And guess what? God solved everyone. Amen. Maybe you haven't realized it, but you control the doors to your mind. And that's a hard pill to swallow. You open them and you close them based on what you decide to look at. And I don't mean your physical eyes, like somebody looking at pornography. I mean the eyes of your mind. Are you looking at your problems and circumstances or are you looking at God? Because with your mind you welcome some things and you reject others. So if we're going to win within and defeat discouragement, we have to have our mind in the right place. We got to have our eyes in the right place and we got to have our mind in the right place. Poke your neighbor and say you got to have your mind in the right place. Poke your neighbor and say get your mind out of the gutter. Yeah, yeah, say it like you mean it now. Look at it and say get your mind out of the gutter. Now, we know what that means or what we're trying to say when we say that. But you know what? Anytime your mind agrees with the devil, it's in the gutter. You feed your mind like you feed your body and you become what you're fed. Look, discouragement will mess you up. It'll get your mind going the wrong way. You feed your mind like you feed your body and you become what you're fed. So what are you feeding it? Yeah, there's a great story of a man that got saved. I, I know I've shared this before. It's been some time, so it'll be new for some. An evangelist was way in North Alaska, and an Eskimo got saved. The next year he came back, and the guy was still in church, and he was excited. Hey, a guy that got saved still in church. He said, how's it going? The Eskimo said, well, he says, like I got two dogs, a good dog and a bad dog, and they're constantly fighting. The evangelist said, well, which one wins? The wise Eskimo said, whichever one I feed the most. What are you feeding your mind? What are you feeding your spirit? Do you declare the word of God even when it seems like it's not working? Do you proclaim the goodness of God even when it seems like he's not being good to you at the moment? 
Are you going to feed off the word of God or off your circumstances? Are you going to feed off the scriptures that say you're healed or the doomsday doctor's report? Are you going to feed off the word of God that says you and your household will be saved? Or what's the latest drama in your child's life? Are you going to feed on the Bible what God says or the negatives and lift off, left, live off leftovers? I don't know about you, but you and I have the choice. And sometimes the hardest thing you can do in your life is inside of you get the fortitude to say, no matter how I feel, no matter how discouraged I am about this, I'm still going to go to God, I'm still going to praise God, and I'm still going to proclaim His goodness and His word and say it's going to happen. Amen. This is good preaching here today. I'm having fun. Paul has an answer for all this. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit. Psalm 4 and 8 says it this way. Or Philippians 4 and 8, excuse me, says it this way. Finally, brethren. Finally. Here's the, here's the, this is the last thing I need to tell you, he says. Brethren, what, whatsoever things are true. I want, you to, I want you to hold this up with me. Every time I say a word, I want you to hold it up. Everybody say True. Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. That is an eight part. This is a great scripture for you to memorize and put to the test. This is something I try to do regularly. I get a thought. I don't think it lines up. It's bringing discouragement. It's not bringing encouragement or joy. So it can't be from God. So you put it to the test. Is it true? Is it honest? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it of a good report? If If it fails one of those eight things, it's got to go. God says our answer is if we will think on those eight things and only those eight things then discouragement cannot arrive and we will trust and believe God. Every bit of discouragement that you and I will ever deal with violates that scripture right there in some form or fashion. And by the way, if you have a lust problem, that'll solve that. If you have an unbelief problem, that verse will solve that. That verse will solve every inward thinking battle you will ever deal with. That was worth the price of admission today. Somebody say amen. amen. That's a good scripture to put on an on a index card and put on your refrigerator. Your children need it. You need it. Everybody who enters your house needs to see it. We all need it before us because we can all the devil can mess with our minds. If you're going to win within and defeat discouragement, you've got to think godly thoughts. See, your eyes got to be in the right place. Your mind's got to be in the right place. You've got to think godly thoughts. Man, the devil can get you all messed up. This morning, I looked at Holly and I said, Holly, did I hear God say we have a Rehoboth? I, I just don't know that I have. I don't, did I really hear that? Did I, do, do you think God really spoke to me that? She said, well, it bore witness in my spirit, and it bore witness in other people's spirit. I said, okay, well, I feel better. So I thought, well, let me do it to the test. Do you believe that we've heard from God and we have a Rehoboth coming? Raise your hand if you do. Amen. See, you just encouraged me. 
I know God spoke to me that. I know where I was sitting. I know when God spoke it. I know it was during a 21-day fast. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt God spoke to me. But it's been so long and waning that I looked at her today and I thought, did I really hear from God? Don't tell me the devil can't mess with you. Do you realize I've been pastoring here almost 10 years and I have pastored this church longer on the road in the wilderness than we have had in a church building? And then the devil start messing with your head. Pastor Doug don't want you here no more. They want you out. Where are you going to go now? And you know what God does? Pastor Doug pulls up right beside me in the parking lot. We have a great 10-minute conversation. And all is good. It's like God was saying, no, he don't want you gone. But we want to find our own place. Amen? That's what I'm trying to tell you. The devil can mess with you even when you know you've heard from God. Has anybody been there before? Am I the only one that's there sometimes? In fact, it was on the way here today. There was a phone call made, and I said, well, God, will, God just simply won't answer my prayers. Well, then Haley and Holly jump all over me. Oh, yes, he does. God is faithful. I said, well, he ain't answered it yet. Ain't this going to be a great Sunday service? Is it all right if I get real with you? You ever felt like God don't answer your prayer in a certain area? I think my exact words were, somebody said, well, we got to pray. And I said, it won't do no good. He ain't answered it now. Is it all right to be honest? Don't look at me like you got halos. Uh Uh-uh. Oh, no, no, you tried. I see some horns out there. How many have been there where I've been? You say, I ain't going to pray no more about it because it ain't even doing no good. Scientists say the human brain is composed of, watch this, 10 billion billion working parts. You can't even really put a number on that. It has the storage space, watch this, to accept 10 new facts every second the rest of your life. That just blows my mind. It's estimated your mind can store information equal to 100 trillion words. That's, that's like four times the national debt. Wow. And we use but a fraction of that space. Now, careful, don't look right or left right now. You'll get in some trouble. This is why we've got to understand discouragement is not an entity unto itself. It is something we choose to permit because we refuse to resist the shocks and the unexpected circumstances of life. You will never walk into a storage room full of discouragement. You can't get on Amazon and order some. You can't go to the local market and get some off the shelf. In a sense, watch this. Here's the devastating part about it. It doesn't even exist without us. Even more devastating, we must bring it into existence. Did you know that there is no such thing as discouragement without our help? Come on, pat yourself on the shoulder right there. Are you feeling good about yourself? We create it with our mind, thoughts, and feelings. Discouragement is a tool of the devil, and once Satan gets in there, he can do whatever he wants. So, point number three is this. The devil uses discouragement to make us give up. That's why he does it. 
He wants us to quit and give up. I want to recall just a couple, and I could spend days preaching this. I just want to throw out a few biblical giants that we look at, and if we're not careful, we almost tend to, to you know, idolize like they're some kind of Thor superhero, but they were very much people like you and I. Moses, the guy who spoke with God face to face. Did you know in Numbers 11, it didn't look good for him? The people had Egypt on their mind. He felt responsible for the millions. They're driving him nuts. They, all they can talk about is go back to bondage. Finally, by Numbers 11, 14 through 15, here's what Moses says. I am not able to bear all these people alone. Watch this, because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, look, he's talking to God. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. Now, it's a good thing God doesn't take us seriously when we're discouraged and we pray some of the stupid prayers that we pray. How many know what I'm talking about? That would have been really something if verse 16, God said, okay, you got it, zap. Next leader up. Aren't you glad God doesn't wipe us out when we get discouraged? Look at what Moses would have missed out on. He would have missed the pronunciation and the proclamation that God said, watch this, the only man on the face of the earth ever, that he said, I speak with Moses face to face. Moses would have missed out on the miracle from the rock, water gushing out. He would have missed the parting of the Red Sea and the drowning of the Egyptian army. He, he would have missed out on the manna raining down from heaven, on the miracle of quail coming from the east. I could just list one miracle after the other after the other. He would have missed out on giving blessing to all 12 tribes before he died. He would have missed out on conferring his leadership to the next man up, Joshua, who would be the guy to lead them into their promised land. He would have, he would have never seen the promised land from Mount Nebo, and he would, have had, he would never have had God as his pallbearer and his grave digger. Listen, I'm telling you, man, if Moses had given in to discouragement in Numbers 11, he would have missed out on all that. Aren't you glad God has mercy when we get discouraged and pray stupid prayers? Moses wasn't the only one. Elijah, one of two men who never died on this earth. 1 Kings 19, 4, he got so discouraged that the Bible says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. What is the deal with all these great men of God that want to die? And he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Oh, I can't do no more, God. I'm done. Now, Lord, take my life. I'm no better than my father's. I'm nothing. Look, if God had listened to that and killed him at that moment, you know what? He would have missed out on the still, small voice of God. He would have missed out on the wonderful blessing of finding and anointing his successor, Elisha. He would have missed out on knowing that Elisha was going to do double what he would ever do. He would have missed out on anointing Jehu, who was the man God chose to kill Jezebel. He would have missed out on a chariot of fire. I mean, who gets chariots of fire? He would have missed out on going up to heaven in a whirlwind. Can you imagine what he'd have missed out on? Job, after losing his health, his wealth, his children... His wife asked this question in Job 2.9. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. If Job would have listened to that, he would have lost out on the future sons and daughters he would have the second time. He would have lost out on getting double for his trouble. 
he would have lost out on Job 42 where he says, God, I heard about you before, but now I know you. He would have lost out on the testimony that said his latter end was greater than his former end. Man, I don't know about you, but I don't, don't give up. Did you poke your neighbor and say, don't give in to discouragement? What about you? If you give in to discouragement, what will you miss out on? The blessings of the Lord on your family? Watching your son or daughter grow up into that man of God that you're proud of and thought, man, that's what I knew you could become. The precious souls saved and spared from hell's fires. How many people out there are waiting for you to get over your discouragement so you can help win them to the Lord? They just don't know it. If you give up and give in to discouragement, will you miss maybe a song that you write or sing that is heard by and blesses millions? Maybe a, a book that you write that is read by and blesses millions. It only takes one song to bless the multitudes. It only takes one book to make a difference in someone's life and you may never ever meet them. It only takes one witness to reach a soul. Man, I'm preaching. I hope you're getting encouraged. You may miss here the doctor say, I don't know what happened, but the cancer's gone, the hepatitis is gone, the heart disease is gone. I'm not sure what happened, but uh, it's all gone and you're good. Go leave the hospital and be free to go. Amen. You may miss your children say, thanks for not giving up on me, mom or dad. You may miss another brother or sister say, thank you for believing in me and never quitting on me. Praying one more time for that lost person. Can make the difference. Praying that one more time for that miracle can bring that miracle to pass. Praying that one more prayer for healing can make all the difference. Teaching one more lesson can make the difference. Don't give in to discouragement. Somebody say amen. And lastly, point number four is how do you defeat discouragement? I know we talked about you got to have your eyes in the right place. you got to have your mind in the right place. You've got to think godly thoughts, have godly thoughts. But here's a few others. Don't run from it. Rather run to it. If you're going to win within and defeat discouragement, don't isolate yourself. Discouraged people put themselves in a corner. They isolate themselves. They leave church. They leave small group. They get on their own. And then they're even more on the table of the devil waiting to get slaughtered. Rather than running away to isolate, run to God and run to his people. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. You know that word trouble there means tight places. God is our refuge and strength, and he is a very present help in our tight places. How can God be our refuge and our strength if we're running away from him rather than running to him? And you know, you can't offend God. I read a story this week of an avowed atheist, never went to church, never read her Bible, never nothing. Couldn't stand the idea of church or God. Her daughter got into a car accident and was on death's door. She went to the hospital, distraught, fearful, nowhere to turn, didn't believe in God or at least wasn't wanting to serve God. She said she was going to go in the car and she was going to ride home and she was going to grab some clothes 
And all those emotions came over her when she got in the driveway and she grabbed the steering wheel, took her fist out the door and she said, you hear me? I can't believe what you're doing to me. I hate you. To which God and her voice, her testimony, in almost an audible voice said, well, I love you. And this is the first time you've ever talked to me and allowed me to tell you how much I love you. You know, we're in the process of never letting us see a sweat and think we've got to never tell God how we feel. And that's a huge mistake. God's a big boy. Here's a clue. You ready for this? Are you ready? He knows how you feel before you tell him. <laughs> Poke your neighbor because I don't think they believe it. Say, he knows how you feel <laughs> before you tell him. So you might as well tell him. If you're going to win within and defeat discouragement, you need to run to God in prayer. Prayer may not always change your circumstance, but watch what it will do. It will change you and strengthen you until the circumstances do change. Let me say that again. Prayer may not change the circumstances today, but prayer will change you and strengthen you until the circumstance does change. Oh, man, that was good. Praise God. Somebody say hallelujah. Remember this. What life does to us depends on what life finds in us. What life does to us depends on what life finds in us. Somebody say amen. If you're going to win within and defeat discouragement, don't do anything drastic. Hear me now. Poke your neighbor and say, don't do anything drastic. Never make a permanent decision when you're going through a time of despair. Never, never, never make a, a permanent decision in a temporary circumstance. That's compounding the problem. Wait on the Lord. I know nobody wants to hear that. I don't want to hear that. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. That's all we do. Wait on the Lord. If you're like me, there are times you say, God, I'm, I hear your word. I receive your word. I, I hold it in my hand. I've got your prophecy. Yes. But can I see it in the natural, please? Is anybody else like me sometimes? If you're going to win within and defeat discouragement, you've got to rest in his word. You've got to stand on the promises of God. You've got to stand on the word even when you don't see any results. Always remember the darkest hours right before the break of dawn. If you're going to win within and defeat discouragement, you've got to be courageous. Courage is doing in the face of fear or discouragement. Courage is doing anyways in the face of discouragement or fear. Let me close with a story and we'll pray. You know what? We're just going to worship God. David said, I'm going to put my hope in him and yet will I praise him. Now, I set you up because there's about 80% of y'all raised your hands earlier. Now we're going to practice here in a second what David said. We're going to put our hope in God, and we're yet, we're going to praise Him. Maybe we're going to sing, what's your famous for? What song you got concocted? Famous for. Wouldn't it be great if God would do what He's famous for? Do you still believe? I love that part. I still believe. Do you still believe? Ray Blankenship was 
making breakfast at his Andover, Ohio, true story, home one morning. When he saw a little girl in the ditch, raging water, going down the ditch. He knew that that ditch was headed to a main culvert into a main drainage ditch, and from there she'd be gone. He ran out the door, ran alongside of the bank, trying to get ahead of her, to which he plunged himself into the deep churning waters, grabbed her by the hand, and end over end they went tumbling. He was feeling, trying to grab, trying everything he could to stop because he knew they were coming close to that main culvert and that main drainage area. And he reaching, grabbing, he finally grabbed something. Maybe it was a rock protruding from the, from, the, from the edge of the drainage area, three feet from the main culvert. The force of the water from the heavy rain was just pounding him and her little girl's body. He's trying to hang on to her with one hand, hang on to the rock, trying to figure out if I could just hang in there till the paramedics get here then we're going to be all right. But he did better than that. Somehow or another, he managed to get her and him out of that water to safety. By the time the paramedics got there, they were okay. They were treated for shock, but watch this. On April 12, 1989, Ray Blankenship was awarded the Coast Guard Silver Life-Saving Medal. And the award was very fitting for him, for this selfless, selfless person who was at even greater risk to himself than anyone knew because Ray Blankenship couldn't even swim. Courage looks in the face of discouragement and says, I'm going to praise God anyways. I'm going to pray anyways. I'm going to get up out of the bed and go to church anyways. I'm going to witness anyways. I'm going to serve anyways. I'm going to bless God anyways. I'm going to declare the promises of God anyways. I'm going to look you square in the eyeball discouragement, and I'm going to praise God anyway. I'm going to put my hope in Him. I'm going to bless the Lord. And if you just wait, devil, I'm going to praise Him anyway. I'm going to bless Him anyway. Come on, somebody. I want you to get up on your feet. Eighty percent of you were like me. You said you're discouraged in an area. I want you to look that discouragement square in the eye and say, you know what, discouragement? Go back to hell where you came from. I am going to encourage myself in the Lord right now. I'm going to put my hope in Him. I'm going to praise Him anyways. 